What's up, listeners? We have a brand new segment for you today in our podcast. It is a grand rounds, essentially, for Strive to Move. Um, Every patient that walks in, we really do spend time discussing the case and the plan of action and, you know, what are the things that are working well, what isn't working well. Now with Dr. Ash and myself, Dr. Justin, we have uh, always more than one person on each case, and we wanted to take you inside of those conversations obviously for hipaa uh, purposes we did not use patients names hopefully if we did we can edit them out Um, but hopefully you guys get some insight into what we think about with each patient case uh, how we go about planning on what to do what their exercise protocol what the rehab might be and and you know clinical decision making process so we want you guys to understand and see you know how we how we go about that because we don't just walk in the room for the first time and treat a patient we really do spend the time to discuss the cases and i thought you guys may be interested to hear it so we hope you enjoy this is the stay healthy new jersey podcast aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around somerset and union county new jersey This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helped active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. All right, so patient one, tell me about um, what you're thinking and uh, and where you want to go with him. Patient one. Patient one's been coming. We just saw him last Friday, and he's been experiencing chronic low back pain for the last 10 to 15 years. So the mindset that he knows is that he's always in pain. So where I'm going with him first is how we can create awareness for him regarding his lips because that's when he's getting most of the pain is in the gym setting. Um, When he came in, he wasn't in excruciating pain, correct? No, he was not in any excruciating pain at all, except he said he was 95% better. So he's had pain for a long time. At this point, he is... You know, most of the people that come to us, they're usually in a lot of pain, and our first step is to get them out. So he is a little unique in that there's obviously something more there because he's out of that original pain. So where do you think for him, like what is his actual long-term goal? His actual long-term goal is honestly for him is he wants to create that awareness for himself since this does seem to happen once a year for him. It's about creating the awareness on what triggers his pain and what movements that he can and can't do. So at this point, where is he physically, like, what isn't he doing right now that he wants to do? He's not deadlifting or squatting at all right now. Okay, he, so is he about 50 years old? About 50, in mid-50s, yes. Very right, so, active. So we have a guy, active 50-year-old, professional, chronic back pain, who is at a point where he's feeling good, he's not in acute pain, but it sounds to me like there are things that he wants to do that he can't do or is afraid to do at this point. That is correct. And he's had chiropractic treatment in the past. He's done PT in the past, but nothing has seemed to like help him. Okay. Yeah. I think the big thing here is really getting clear on what he wants. Again, going back, people come to us usually in pain. And so we really have to be clear on what his expectations are and um, what his goal is because we could want X if he wants Y, we're going to be in trouble. Um, so this is actually a good case. Selfishly, this is this is kind of me at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm someone oh, yeah. who's had back surgery at 26 um, who normally, knock on wood, feels pretty good, but always in the back of my head, it's like, what should I be doing? Am I doing the right thing? Like, how far can I push it? You know, what has to happen? So I, I feel, okay, long-term, what does the next 30 years look like if, if I have pain now? Um, 
And so I think when he comes back, he's doing coming back for the full for an eval, right? Full eval this Friday. He's coming back. And I think that's where we have to start on like, you know, a little different than the typical doctor's office, but like, hey, how best can we really, really help you? Like if you could do what what would you like to do that you're not able to do now or or you know, what can we clear up for you? I think the biggest thing with him is just creating that value for him since he's done other treatments in the past. Is like, how will we stand out to him and how can we show him the value that we provide to him? Yeah. And not not having to use, in his case, the good news is we, we're not using pain. Like, okay, you couldn't deadlift when you came in because it hurts. Now it doesn't hurt. That's not what he's here for. And in this type of situation, I think that's actually, if we had to pick one person who I think we do work best with it's actually this because i think where we are a little bit different is because we, we understand the the health and the fitness and the weightlifting side of it we don't have a any sort of pain to mark improvement with and so in his case a lot of it becomes hey listen um like if you want to if your goal is to deadlift that's great but we're not just going to essentially flip a coin and say, I think you can, or I think you right. can't like he could do that on his own. There's no, to your point, there's no value in that. No, it's about showing him the progressions. Like we know the progressions that he can take to eventually get there. Yeah. And so we lay out a plan and it's our best, what it is is our best guess of the proper ways to get there where we can take a, a real scientific approach, look at the different variables of the lift, loading him, the different loading, the different um, techniques to do it. Is he getting himself in the right positions? And then from there, that's the base and building from there. And if at some point he can't, at least we have a very clear answer of the level he gets to. So, you know, to make it easy for the audience, essentially, let's say level zero is not doing anything and level 10 is deadlifting 300 pounds off the floor. Um, we're not going to say you can't deadlift and then go to level 10, zero to 10. We will start him at one, mm -hmm. what his program is, and then level two and every level that he's able to do. Now we have a specific plan to get there. He understands what we're trying to accomplish. But rather than just like, again, flipping a coin or betting or hoping and praying that he feels okay, we have a structure or system in place so that he's on board and we know exactly the way we're going to test it. Yeah, I selfishly like these cases more in the sense that we don't have to use pain as his marker. It's almost the awareness that we can create for him and the biggest thing he'll take from that. Cool. So anything else with him specifically that um, that we that we want to go? Do we know does he want to does he have a goal of deadlifting or squatting or we're not even we're not sure at this point? His biggest goal is just knowing what he can and can't do in the gym that won't trigger his back pain. Got That's it. his biggest goal. And then we can go from there. You know, the other rabbit hole here that we could go down uh, we won't but is that is that fear avoidance right because at this point he's not doing anything he's avoiding it um because he's scared and again i know that feeling a hundred percent um and it's a bit of a black hole because it's like where does it end you know there what's the what's the line between being stupid and and not doing anything um it's funny that you mentioned he does have a fear avoidance of bending and he showed me in office the way he bends to get objects down and it's definitely an avoidance of not moving through his hips because he's scared about hurting his back again most most doctors people go to they tell them what they can't do and our motto is we want to figure out what you can do mm -hmm. so that's the approach that we want to be able to take in power versus scare but yeah. but but with an understanding of like here's why we're going about it that way absolutely yeah i'm excited for him to come back in friday and see what happens cool all right so patient two tell me about her Patient two came in about two weeks ago with right hip pain. And it wasn't like a sharp hip pain or anything when she's lifting. It's more of 
Like she just hears a snapping sound and putting her through an exam. She's the definition of a very, very hypermobile case. To tell the audience, um, so this is a young 20... She's 23-year-old uh, trainer at the performance gym that we also work out of. Okay. And... So 23-year-old, pretty athletic, good shape, works yep. out a lot. And what does hypermobile mean for our audience? Hypermobile means she can move through... She can move... She can bend down and touch her palms to the floor. And she can extend her knees all the way back, meaning that she can move a lot. Right. So her joints have a lot of, we call it the, the fancy term is like laxity. And so for the audience, think like your classic gymnast or dancer um, or people that need a lot of range of motion or flexibility to do what they do, um, which in many cases, most people think that's good. Yep. It's good until you can't control it. And that's when we start to see people in pain when they can't control that hypermobility and they start loading themselves. And so, so here's someone hypermobile getting hip pain and you're, she's getting popping and clicking. What, what do you think the, the popping is from? Popping is from her. So the hip joint, you know, it's ball and socket joint. It's just that ball just moving in the socket too much and none of the muscles around it stabilizing it. Cool. Um, so, in this case, and again, I haven't seen this patient you have, but we, I still want to talk through. In this case, what we see a lot is this type of patient who is, that she feels tightness and pain. but And so a lot of times in order to get out of that, she stretches a lot. This type of patient either does yoga or stretches a lot mm -hmm. because it feels good. And the problem with that is oftentimes they're making it worse, even though in the short term it feels good. Is this someone who has done a lot of stretching in the past or not really? Yeah, her biggest thing is like she says she would stretch all the time and she would get no relief from it. And so in that case, they're essentially stretching the joints, which is not really – not that – stretching is not bad, which I don't want the audience to yeah, think. Yeah, no. But stretching – for the wrong person could be bad. Yeah. Just like anything, it'd be detrimental. It'd be good for one person, but doesn't necessarily mean it's good for the other person. So in this case, um, the good news is we have a lot of tools in our tool belt, not just adjusting, not just stretching, not just hands-on stuff. Um, so where, where do you want, where are you taking this, this case? Her, what I'm taking is like just showing her what she already has. Like she has glutes. It's just how can she turn them on in the right exercises and when to appropriately feel it. So talk through that a little bit more. She's somebody that knows she knows the techniques. She knows how to deadlift and squat and do the exercises in the gym. But if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like she often doesn't feel it in the right places. Tell me more about that. Let's use an example. We use a, uh, a test in here called band walks. You see it, people in the gym, they put the band around their knees or their ankles and they do it for exercise. And they walk side and to side. They walk side to side to see, to get, to feel the burn on their glutes. What we use it in here is more as of a test to see where they're appropriate feeling. So for her, she only felt it in her quads and above her knee. She never felt it in her hips. And that's a primary place you should feel that during a, doing a band walk. So, so. She comes in, we put the band around her legs. She does a lateral walk, walk side to side, shuffling essentially. Ideally, if we're testing someone, once they start to feel it, they should feel the burn in basically the side of their hips, like Correct. their hip pockets, so Correct. to speak. And she felt it on the front of her thighs near her knees. Correct. And so what you're saying is she does the exercise. It looks okay. 
Like looks okay. if you took a video of her, you'd say, yeah, it looks totally fine. But when you ask her, you know, what she feels, she doesn't feel it in the right spots. And so part of the and in the beginning for you, is it educating on her what she should be feeling? Yeah. For her, like I said, it was creating the awareness for her. She came up to me this past week and told me she's never felt her glutes more sore than after the last two weeks we've been working with her. And so for her, it's just making that mind-body connection on where to feel it and when to feel it. So it sounds to me like one of the main things there is optimization, right? Yep. She she has a good background in exercise and, and yeah, it. we can we can put her and teach her some maybe little technique things, but a lot of it is taking what she's already got and figuring out how to use it better, right? Oh, that's absolutely correct. I had her do a single leg deadlift and it was actually pretty amazing. Um, Doing a single leg deadlift, you know, you're balancing on one leg. And to help you balance on the one leg, you need your glutes, the side of your hips, to control it. She can touch the bottom of the floor with her palm and come back up but not feel anything in her glutes. And I thought that was actually pretty amazing because most people can't do that. Right. So long term for her, where do you see her case? Like where do you see you taking it with her as she progresses? Long term, I just, I'm progressing her. Uh, we start a closed chain, meaning we like leave, we work on the table and we go from there. And long term, I just create just all about creating the awareness for her. Um, any potentially what stumbling blocks could you see foresee? Potentially her just not feeling the glutes in the right during the right exercises or her getting complacent during the exercises and not making that mind body connection. Do you think is is there for her? Um, Going to another, you know, if she went to like a typical chiropractic office where they do heat stim and adjust, things like that, would there have been any benefit for her in that case? I don't think so. In my opinion, I don't think there would have been any benefit because she has all the movement and just putting more movement into her would not be beneficial for her. So she's a case where, um, luck, you know, hopefully for what we do here, you know, we always say not everyone's a perfect fit for what mm -hmm. we do. Not it shouldn't be like that's not the re real world. Yeah. Um, but in her case, because we might do some different things, the exercise component and really understand that side of it where a client or a patient like that will hopefully benefit really from what we do and to connect the dots. Yeah, it's a big interesting case. It's definitely fun working with her. She's definitely an avid person. So it's good. And and also she is a trainer by, you know, that's her profession. So a hidden benefit, I hope, is that some of the stuff that we're doing with her, she'll be able to start to transfer to her clients as well. Yeah, it's funny. She actually mentioned that to me yesterday, that she the awareness that we created with her putting the band around her feet to feel her glutes a little bit more, she actually did that with a client yesterday, and her client was extremely happy with it. And in that case, it's not a huge change, right? You went from taking yeah. the band around her knee to her foot. You moved about a foot below, and it's just a little tweak. Yeah. that you know could be the could be the difference of someone you know getting a better workout that day or over time 10 people you know feeling it in their hips a little bit more like they should and and so that's you know a good nice hidden benefit of that yeah yeah cool all right so number three patient number three patient number three we've been seeing him over a month now came into us with left shoulder pain when performing overhead lifts okay and so again younger trainer younger athletic. trainer very active very fit just having shoulder pain every time he overhead lifts. Okay, so he would do a some sort of pressing movement with a weight. He'd press it overhead, and it would hurt. 
Yep, he couldn't hold the weight over his head for more than 30 seconds. Like, he would start to feel extremely fatigued in his left arm. Okay, and so tell me, walk me through your diagnostic diagnostic process with him. Anytime anyone comes in with a shoulder complaint, our biggest thing, just to cover our basis, is to roll out the spine first. I think you can agree with that. So in his case, you're talking what part of the spine? Uh, Cervical spine, the neck. Right, so essentially what you're saying is there's nerves in the neck or muscles in the neck that refer down to the shoulder and sometimes when those necks can be caught up by muscles or like improper neck position they can refer pain to the shoulder okay and so how do you go about ruling out the neck because a lot of people you know even when i remember being in school and we would learn that in class it's like someone comes in with a shoulder shoulder pain or elbow pain and the first step on the protocol be rule out the neck um, but the orthopedic tests that they taught us in school <laughs> don't actually do anything. No, and so very, not I didn't know good. how to actually rule out the neck. So what are some ways that you would make sure that someone coming in is in fact not the neck? Well, uh, we call it end range loading. So it's actually pretty funny. We always tell the patients to make like a double chin yeah. and it's pretty hideous to see on some patients, but it's effective. <laughs> it's really effective. So we have them do some end range loading by going into what's called cervical retraction. So if you could think about it's like military of, neck, right? Yeah. Very straight, very neutral. If you think about a string attached around your chin, it's just gliding you back. We'll do those a few times enough to where they will feel a difference. And then we'll have them, we'll retest their painful movement. And if it's decreased, we know there's like a referral pattern coming from the neck. Hannah, do we, is this the point where we have to put our disclaimer of we're not doing medical advice on the podcast? This is for informational purposes only. <laughs> Wait, do we have to do that actually? We probably should. Okay. Yeah. okay, this is not medical advice right now. Yeah. <laughs> Don't treat yourself with this if yeah. you have shoulder pain. If you do have right. shoulder or neck pain, see a local healthcare provider. There you go. All right, so we ruled so we ruled it in or out for with Joe specifically with shoulder pain. We looked at his neck. Is it neck or not neck? It's not neck. We ruled it out. It was actually pretty it was blatantly shoulder, yes. Okay, so he has a shoulder problem, ruled out the neck. Now what? Now we go straight to the shoulder. So we move down the chain, meaning we start at the top and we'll move down. So we went straight to the shoulder. We looked at his overhead lifts, we recorded them, we were able to see what was going on, and his shoulder really just had some instability. So tell me about the instability. He couldn't, the biggest thing was for him was like taking a 10 pound kettlebell, holding his arm at 90 degrees, and he couldn't hold it there for more than 30 seconds. Okay. And this is a fit guy. You would think he'd be able to hold it there for a while. Well, I mean, independent of that, he could do it on his other side. Correct. So and that was frightening to him. Right. So he, for him, if he couldn't do it on either side, we'd say, all right, like maybe he's just not strong. Mm-hmm. Um, in his case, he could do it on his right, not do it on his left. So um, now what? So then we go from, we did all our shoulder orthopedic tests. Then we look at core because if you don't have a can solid I, foundation. Can I interrupt you? Sure. Um, because I think I did see this patient with you, orthopedic-wise, MRI-wise. Did we, do we have a conclusive diagnosis? Because sometimes it gets murky. Where do we have a clear diagnosis? Are we confident in what the problem is? We are confident. Um, we did not do imaging, and I'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, our confident diagnosis was a, a posterior labrum issue. Okay. so the, Small tear in the labrum. So the labrum, most people have heard of it in the shoulder. Um, the labrum is essentially, the shoulder is a ball in a socket, and the labrum is basically the outside ring of the socket. Correct. It basically provides the cushion between the ball and the socket, and it provides a lot of the, if you want to think, stability. the stability. It's like a glue. It glues it together. Got it. And so if someone has a tear in the labrum, 
they're compromised in the stability of the shoulder. So essentially think of it, it's loose. Correct. The shoulder will just move in all different planes and nothing will be there to protect it. Makes sense in his case as, as he was loading his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you saw it. Now what's interesting with a case like that is because he's in such good shape and he is very fit, some of the instability doesn't come out until you actually load him with weight. Correct. Right? Correct. So in a typical office where they just kind of make you do range of motion. Or bands, and, yeah. And in an, or, like an orthopedist office, they might not always have access to that. Um, like a kettlebell where I remember this patient and we specifically only saw that dysfunction of instability at a certain weight because we had access mm-hmm. to that, um, which was interesting to see because he, descri- he described it well, but it was hard to visualize until we actually saw him do it. And then once we actually saw him do it with like a added load, it was pretty evident. And so in that case, people hear tear and their first thought is a lot of times it's like, oh, I have a tear. It needs to be repaired by surgery. Tell us about that, of what, why you chose not to go that route initially with someone like this. Our usually philosophy is like we, we believe in imaging, but only if it's necessary. A lot of times these injuries can be treated conservatively. Um, our general rule of thumb is three weeks and the patient's not getting better. We'll refer out for imaging, absence of like red flags. But if we put patient three on there on get imaging, it would come back to show us what we had, but we would already know that. We, we used his name twice, but I think um, we still haven't used his last name, but we can block it out anyway. It's okay. okay. That's good. Um, so we talk imaging. We haven't got imaging yet. We don't need to do that. No, we um, don't need to because he's been. But I think for the general audience, they would think I have a tear in my labrum. I need surgery. But why why wouldn't you immediately refer out? If I didn't know any better, I would think you have a tear. There's nothing that rehab can do to fix the tear. Why would rehab potentially and strengthening be valuable to someone like this uh, because the labrum responds to like load and exercise so with him if if you took my shoulder on an mri i could potentially have a tear so essentially it wouldn't change what we do for him like the injury if we got it before treatment it wouldn't necessarily change so in his case um it was his left arm he's not at this point a competitive lifter no um and so Putting him through the rehab, what we say a lot of times with patients is the good news about what we do here is that regardless of whatever else they may need, if they happen to need other interventions or if they need an imaging or if they need surgery, as long as in general, strengthening and stabilization is never the wrong thing. Meaning that if Joe came in and said to us that he would, um, if he said to us that he's having surgery in two months, we would still follow the same protocol, right? We want to get him as strong as we can. We don't want it to hurt, but we want to get him strong and stable and make sure that if he was going in for a procedure that he went in as strong as he possibly could because after that, he would be fine. Now, what happens a lot of times is that's when the the doctor or the, the chiropractor or the physical therapist treats that patient who they save, I'm using air quotes, from surgery, (laughs) Because they did the rehab beforehand and it happened to take care of whatever pain they were having and they never had to go for the procedure in the first place. And so, you know, the nice thing I think, again, about what we do here is in the for the most part, other outside of what you said with red flags, um, 
there's very little downside and there's only upside to the things that we try to do with patients, which it's a nice place to be, right? Like yeah. out, like very rarely can we do the wrong thing by getting someone strong and stable. And to disclaimer, he's about a month and a half of treatment. He's back to pain-free overhead lifting. So is he 100% at this point or is there other steps we need to take? We still have to progress him slowly. He can't entirely overhead lift um, for an extended period, but he can do some overhead lifts. So we've started to create that stability and it seems like we moved in the right direction. Long-term for him, what's his long-term prognosis? Like what, what do you think he needs to do to make sure the progress continues? Take the necessary steps on what we've educated him on in office on creating proper tension and stability elsewhere to help him in his overhead lifts. If he keeps taking that, he'll be fine. So seems like we're on the right track and we need to just keep progressing in a way because that's another thing where people get stuck right they they get results a lot of times and then they just kind of stop and you know they'll finish like you know my wife had the acl surgery a lot of times three months out they're done with physical therapy and they're they're feeling pretty good they're back to like normal everyday function but they never take that next step from training perspective to go from being out of pt and being like healthy to being able to ski there's a big difference right oh yeah being able to play on a tennis court or being able to you know for this patient going back to the shoulder i know i'm jumping all over but the shoulder patient there's a big difference between not having pain and being able to overhead press 200 pounds right and i think a lot of times that's where people get stuck is that they finish their rehab and they're only out of pain but they haven't gotten back to doing the things they actually want to do and so that seems like his, his biggest next step now. Yeah, but I'm excited for him. He's definitely a fun person to work with. He's consistent. He does his homework, so he's a good patient. Cool. All right, patient four. Patient four, we've been presented us with anterior hip pain. She had pain in the front of her hip when squatting or deadlifting. Okay. And so going back to um, the presentation of this patient uh, in her 40s, I believe. This patient... Is in her 20s. Oh, got it. Sorry. Different patient. Mm-hmm. This patient is competing in powerlifting, correct? She is competing in powerlifting, and she presents to a number a similar to patient two in the body type, like former dancer, gymnast, and again, very, very mobile. So a lot of mobility. So now this is a person who, again, for us, it's important to get the full history of people. So if she came in and just said she has hip pain and we left it at that, we wouldn't understand that, to your point, Ashton, about... She came from X background of dancing and gymnastics where you need a lot of flexibility. Correct. It's a lot of body weight type movements and all this and all of this. And then now she's going to something completely different where she is weightlifting, external loading to her body that she's never had before. So she's loading her system in a way that she's never done at a volume that she's never considered and with a body that's more mobile than than the average person. And so taking all that into account you know her presenting with hip and back pain isn't that uncommon no no not uncommon at all for her especially so what was your approach there with her it was similar to patient three and if a person patient comes in with hip pain our job again is to start from the top and we're rolling out spine but different than patient three was she actually did patient, have a patient referral two pain. sorry the other one with hip pain oh i'm sorry but i am um but similar to patient three when we talked about the referral from the neck. Got it. For patient four, we're talking about she actually did have some referral pain coming from her low back. Okay, so hip pain, front of the hip. Correct. 
most people would say, all right, I have a hip problem. Yep. And they would just work on the hip. And stretch the hip, bend the, the hip. hip. Bend the hip, work the hip only. And Foam roll the hip. That's great, but it wouldn't be taking care of the root cause or the root cause of the problem. Right. And so one of the things that I think we see too, um, the thing that with that's happened in general with medicine these days is every we there's so many good orthopedic doctors around here and one of the reasons why i think they become so good is because they're so specialized mm -hmm. meaning that there's a guy that all he does is shoulders and then there's a guy that all he does is knees and all he does and all he can, all he does is hips and sometimes what we find the issue there is not that they didn't know what they were doing a lot they know a lot of what they're doing but if you have a hip problem and you go to the hip doctor which you're gonna look at the hip yeah and that makes sense but if they're not a spine person they may just not look as much there. And so for us, we like to say we'll get global and then we'll get specific, yep. right? So in that case for you, you go went global, went to the, the above area of the back because um, we would have been in a world of frustration if someone comes up with hip pain and we only treated their hip if it's coming from the back. That's correct. So we started off, we went right went right to the back and with similar is, I'm sure if you do yoga, you've seen that cobra pose, but we call it an end range loading prone press up you go up there multiple times and you do it enough and you see if the pain from the hip will start to go back toward, towards the back. So we call that centralization. Yep, centralization. So hip pain and if they do enough of these back exercises, the pain might go to the back. Correct. And that for us diagnostically is actually a positive even though you might create a little more soreness or stiffness. A little bit more soreness, stiffness in the back, but positive we know in the right direction. But we don't stop there. Now that we got the pain to centralize, air quotes, now we're going to work stability for her. Okay, so where are we now with this patient? Hers was a little tricky because once we got the pain to centralize, and it was a good learning experience, she would still get pain when squatting or deadlifting. So now during lifting, you have to ask the questions of the variables. Is it position? Is it depth? Is it a load issue for her? What did you find to be the specific issue? For her, it was a depth issue. She could, example, back squat 225 pounds, let's just say, and she would get pain at full uh, depth of squat. But when she would raise it to do a box squat, she would get no pain. Okay, so here's someone that comes in, my back hurts when I squat. And if we kept it there, we would say don't squat. But and, that's not what we want to do. And that would make a lot of sense because if it hurts, don't do it. For us, maybe taking another step and saying what part of this process is where we where are the wheels falling off, right, yeah. so to speak. And so to your point, of if we actually broke it down and said, where are you having the problem? Well, it's not that I hurt when I squat. It hurts at the bottom of my squat, Correct. which is very different than as soon as I put the bar on my back, my back hurts my when back I squat. Hurts, right. So from what you're saying, now we start looking at the variables of the lift and say, okay, she can squat, but right now it seems like at the bottom position, at the bottom in the full range of motion, we're having an issue. So what did you do with that? So we, in office, we mimicked, um, we used kettlebell. We raised up our table to mimic a, a box squat, and we had her go into a squat, and she had no pain. So then um, working with her trainer at GFP, we talked about how we can mimic that into our training program. So instead of just doing, f instead of taking, so here are the options. Don't squat anymore because your back hurts. Which is not ideal. Or push through the pain and just pray that it gets better which is not ideal either so here now we're saying all right let's kind of do a little bit of 
both, so to speak. Let's see if we can squat in a position that doesn't hurt. And so for her, that meant instead of squatting, as we would call like ass to grass, you know, sure. ass all the way to the ground, we put a box behind her. It's called a box squat. So now we're accounting for her depth, right? So she's not going to go as deep into her squat. She could still train. She could still load her legs and load her body in the squat position because she's actually training for a powerlifting meet. And, yep. And that was her biggest concern was not being able to perform the lifts and train for the powerlifting meet. So here we, we, it's almost a compromise yeah. in that, okay, maybe we can't do the, while you're rehabbing, we can't do the full thing, but we're also not saying don't lift for six months because sure, that's yeah. not effective either. It wouldn't be ideal for her. And so as we started to add the box squat, then what happened? She started to notice the, um, after doing it for a couple of weeks, she could start taking the variables away, meaning taking a box away, taking a box away to a point where she could go down almost to the ass to grass, if you want to say, without pain. So we just loaded her appropriately over time, over the course of weeks. And also, you know, you mentioned working with a trainer who understands what yep. we're trying to do, understands which is important well. too, which is why we, you know, it's important for us to have that relationship with the coach or the trainer because, you know, a good coach or a good trainer um, will really be part of that process and should be, you know, the head in charge of it. And we just kind of add where, hey, we think this, we think that, but gone incorrect, gone wrong, they can actually make that, you know, in that situation, if that patient were to go back and just kind of train through it, no pain, no gain, which if you look know a lot of power lifters, that's what they that's do. Motto, right? um, most likely we'd be in a very, very bad spot. Mm -hmm. So good. And, and so now we think she's going to be, we're on a, on a good path. To she's on a good path in her training. Um, she still comes in. Um, we still work on like loading and depth issues for her and like her other lifts. So deadlifting, but she's on the good path and she'll be ready for a powerlifting meet in January. Cool. And so then the last case, let me preface this one by saying one of the questions. So when we bring patients in to see us, we know that what we do is a bit unique. And one of the questions before we even start with patients, we ask them about what's going on with them. And the reason we ask them that is we tell them that um, we want to know if you're a good fit for what we do here. And there are occasions when patients will kind of half jokingly have yeah. not say to us, are there patients that you don't take on, like that you don't accept almost like we're using it as like a sales tactic right, to like right, get right. them in the door. Like, Oh, we might not take you on as a patient. Um, this next one that we're going to go to is a good example of somebody that, uh, in fact, we didn't take on as a patient because he wasn't a good fit for what we do. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so this is someone who was, we were treating, um, patient five, his, his, his wife referred him to us. Right. And, and tell us, so tell us about him. Patient five came to us about over a month ago with, um, with a sh shoulder pain in his right shoulder. Um, he'd been having it ongoing for a while. And so what we happened was, so going through the exam, we found out that he would actually had a lot of neck pain as well. And if we, when we looked at his arm, his arm, just looking at him, his left arm was significantly smaller than his right. He attributed to him being a tennis player and he just overuses his right arm, but it was to the point where it was significantly smaller. So we had, we call that atrophy. Yep. Which is, it's not like us because we're doctors can see it. I mean, anyone can see it. I mean, it was significantly different. Significantly smaller. Something and that truthfully, like you don't see very much at all. No. And then it, from there, it went to where 
the triceps muscle on the back of your arm, he couldn't form that muscle at all. Yeah, so if, if someone was to straighten their elbow all the way and they kind of do the do the bro flex and get that tricep in the muscle, mirror, look at your muscles. This guy couldn't do that at all, which is usually an indication of some sort of nerve injury. Nerve injury. So what we told him was at this moment he wouldn't be a good fit, but we still wanted to help them the best way we could. So we sent him for a referral to a neural consult. Yeah, so we knew he needed to get an MRI to really... So this is Correct. a case where we need an MRI, number one. And this is someone that before we were ever going to work with him, he needed to go see a neuro, a neurologist or a neurosurgeon because there was... Once there's you know muscle atrophy and severe nerve problems that are loss, yeah. motor... We call it motor loss where the muscles aren't firing anymore. Um, that's something that you know, it isn't a good fit for what we do, it, at least in the beginning. At least at this moment. We need to refer them to a neurosurgeon who deals with that specifically. And if that neurosurgeon clears him and says, yeah, go try rehab, then yeah, come back. But to that point, yes, that is a case where we will 100% say like, you know, thank you for coming and we can still help you by getting you to a referral that, you know, can really guide you in the right direction and we'll help you any step along that, uh, that process. But no, right now you're not a good fit for our office and you're not a good fit for what we do um, at this time. And so, you know, the other four cases we talked about today were people that, you know, they are, they're, they're the patients that we really do well helping. We, we went in detail about all of their cases and um, fortunately they, they trust us enough to be able to work with us and we feel comfortable working with them because it's what we do with those type of patients. But this last patient, um, our, us helping him, our way to help him to your point is getting him to see someone, someone. see Respect. someone else other than us. And so, you know, we really do take pride in that idea of, we want to make sure that we know that we're not for everybody for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And again, that's, that's not realistic to think that. Um, but also, you know, if we bring you in something we take pride in is if we don't think we can help that we're going to tell you. And if we think we can, we're also going to tell you. Yeah. And so this was a perfect example where his wife came in and she referred her husband because we helped her. Um, and she's still a patient, but, but he, not right now. Can't help right him now. right now, no. Um, so, you know, I thought that was a, a one we wanted to just touch on because people do ask that sometimes kind of half joking, but it is, a, it's a true, it's a, it's a legitimate question and a true question about, um, you know, what, what we actually do here at our, at our practice. Um, anything else that you want to add before we no. finish? Hannah, anything you want to add before we finish? Remind everyone to ask you questions for AMA. All right. So we do an AMA. Hannah was our special guest. And if she likes doing it, she'll be doing it again. Did you like doing it? Fun. She had fun. It was hard to edit, but. Uh, edit yourself. Yeah. yeah. No one likes listening to themselves. <laughs> no. Not um, if you have, we're going to do more of the AMAs, which was our last episode, Ask Me Anything, or one of our previous episodes, because I don't know when this will be published. If you have specific questions that you want answered, if you like what we're doing, please. Do we have anyone that left a review on iTunes for us? We should probably use, we should probably tell people. If you like what we do, please subscribe to our podcast. Leave a review on iTunes. That would be really, really helpful for us. We, we're we having fun doing the podcast. We're going to continue with other ideas. And if you have any feedback, yes or no, um, Ashton is moving his fingers like he's asking for money right now. I thought he was asking for, for money. <laughs> um, anyway. Like a half thumb? Half thumb? Like we didn't fully get a full thumbs up. Has anyone what's... ever asked you like weird questions yet for the AMAs? No. Before oh. this gets weird. I, just, I, I hope someone does. I just had a good does. one DM'd that I'll have to wait for the next 
episode to share. I'll privately DM one. I, I sat here and started laughing, so. <laughs> anyway, before this gets out of hand, we're going to end this. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ashton. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve, and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com/ourservices. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the talk to the doctor first button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.